Good to see everybody. Morning. Thank you. I ask you, if you will, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. This morning is going to be what the old television producers used to call a clip show. You might know what a clip show is. I grew up, of course, all my illustrations, by the way, come from the 80s and 90s, in case y'all noticed. But growing up when TV was not on demand, you had to know what time slot the show came on every single week, and you had to be seated and ready to watch it whenever it came on. Y'all know, anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Well, when you did that, the, the seasons of the sitcoms would go through the fall, and then you get to Christmas, and you would have like a mid-season finale. And then it start back up in January. Well, what they would do, the producers would do to create those weeks is they would get to that mid-season finale because we really couldn't go back and watch it unless you were very, very wealthy and had one of those machines that recorded TV shows back in the day. Those things were cost several hundred thousand dollars. And so you would have this show and it would come on and they would go back as the characters would sit around and show clips from the season, kind of reminding you what the show was about. Well, that's what this message will be this morning a little bit, a clip show of the book of Acts for this will be our final time with Acts until the fall. We're going to to pause for a little bit throughout the summer, move away from Acts. We'll come back to Acts. This is a perfect time to stop. We get to chapter chapter 12. And with chapter 12, you y'all know what comes next, right? Chapter 13. Chapter 13 is whenever the church at Antioch sends the Apostle Paul and Barnabas off on his missionary journeys. Because you have kind of have this major shift now at the end of chapter 12, moving into chapter 13, where Paul will become the center character, if you will, of the rest of the book of Acts as he uh, as the book follows what he does. And so it's a great time for us to, to kind of settle in and, and, and see what's happened so far and then wait and pick it back up in the fall through the summer. We'll begin next week a new series called Summer in the Minors, which I'm not as creative enough to pick up on the baseball theme. Others came up with that. But we'll be looking in the Old Testament at the minor prophets, 12 minor prophets, and we'll spend one Sunday on each one of them so all of us have an understanding about books like Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi and Micah and all of those others. And so we'll be starting that next week with the minor prophets. So today we're going to look at Acts, Acts chapter 12, and we're just simply going to focus a little bit in this clip show of a sermon on verse 24. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. This is the perfect verse to kind of do this type of sermon on because it is a summary verse that we saw last week after the death of James by Herod, and then Herod tried to showing his power by putting Peter in jail, but only, only remembered to demonstrate that, that Herod was not as powerful as he thought he was, because when he promoted himself as a god, the Lord destroyed him, and he died. And what does it say in context? Immediately after it tells us, because he did not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, last. Then verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. In contrast to Herod's murderous plots against the early church, the word of God increased and multiplied. 
If I have a main idea this morning, it's this. God's word increases and multiplies when God's people know it and share it. Know it and share it. Let's pray to the Lord together. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray today that our desire would be to know your word and to share your word. Father, I do believe the more we know about you, the more we love you. I do believe the more we learn of your ways, Father, the more we recognize your power in our world today. So God, I pray that today you would draw us closer to you, that you would increase our knowledge of you through your word, that, that our hearts would be bound up and desirous to do your will. God, all of this we ask by your grace and for your glory. Amen. It would do us good to remember that the book of Acts, as I've said from the beginning, and, and as many of you already knew, is volume two. This was written by Luke, and so Luke's gospel is really volume one. Acts becomes volume two. They go together, Luke and Acts. And if that's the case, then it's important that we not forget what happens in Luke's gospel, especially at the end of it in Luke chapter 24. If you can turn to Luke 24 really quickly, you'll find that it ends there uh, with the ascension. But the, the penultimate moment is when Jesus, the resurrected king, is with his disciples. On the day that he had raised, that first Sunday, he went to them in the evening and he found them there and he began to teach them, it tells us. And Luke does something very important for us in this teaching. He says in verse 44 there, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, Jesus says, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus, now get the scene, here's his disciples who just thought he was dead and not coming back, confused maybe by the weekend's events. Now he's resurrected, standing in front of them in his presence. And he says, here's what I told you. I do believe if this would happen to me, I want to believe, and assuming things is not always the best, I want to assume that I would be listening, Right? Here's the resurrected Savior standing in front of me now, who I just saw die gruesomely on Friday. Now he's alive standing here. I do believe I will listen. So the resurrected king is going to give his, his, his people a command. He's going to commission them. Luke helps us with verse 45. Verse 45 is a, is a tremendous verse for us because Luke is helping us with an interpretive key principle. In fact, I would say the most important key principle in interpretation. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Everything was written about Jesus, the law, the prophets, all of the Old Testament, all about Christ. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures and says this to them. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus here tells his disciples everything that's happened 
You know it was going to happen. It was told of you in the Old Testament that the Christ would suffer, die, be buried, be raised again. And when that happens, now you are to be witnesses of these things. He's commissioning them to go, to tell, to witness. And then if you flip over to Acts chapter 1, you find that these two things put together, if, if Luke 24 becomes Luke's kind of great commission, if you will, then Acts chapter 1 verse 8 becomes the strategy by which they will be witnesses. You have the commissioning or the, the vision, you were to witness to me, to the nations, and now the strategy. How does this work? And that begins there with verse 8 when he says, you will receive power first from the Holy Spirit, then when that comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if Luke 24 serves as the commission that Jesus has to his people, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 begins the strategy. Think about it then. In the book of Acts, we begin with about a hundred people gathered who have been told to wait. And, and the, the, the resurrected king had given them a command. You were to be witnesses to this. Wait on the spirit. So about a hundred people are gathered in a single city right there in Jerusalem. And they have what seems like an impossible mission before them. Those hundred people are to spread the good news to the ends of the earth. And so here they have this, and, and they, all they have is really a commitment to wait and to pray. And then the Lord moves. And the Lord sends his spirit in Acts chapter 2. And as soon as the spirit comes, just as Jesus told them to, they begin to witness. They begin to tell all that they know of Christ and who he is and what he's done. You see it there in chapter 2. And as I said, Acts 1.8 serves as the strategy, but it's really also the outline of the book of Acts. Because the first part, they're in Jerusalem. All the way up to chapter 8, 8 verse 1, whenever after Stephen had been stoned and, and they're in Jerusalem and now they're spread out because of persecution. So the first part, the first seven chapters, they're in Jerusalem. And then it tells us they go into Judea in chapter 8 and they're going about all of the cities and towns of Judea spreading the gospel. And then it tells us that, that even Philip goes into Samaria and start sharing the gospel with the Samaritans who were hearing about this. So you have Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. By the time you get to chapter 9, all of this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it, the Lord has used this, all of their experiences, and the gospel is spreading into all of these areas. And then things begin to even go bigger, because in chapter 8, you've had the conversion of the eunuch. In chapter 9, you have the conversion of Saul. In chapter 10, you have the conversion of Cornelius. All of this kind of wrapped around this idea that this gospel is not just going to stay amongst the Jews in Jerusalem, but it is going to go out to the ends of the earth and all the nations to the Gentiles. And so here in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, really you have this picture this halfway point, I know there's 16 more chapters, but really this halfway point of the gospel having started with 100 in Jerusalem, now there's some thousands of believers spread out in all of Judea and Samaria and everywhere, spread out here by the time you get to Acts chapter 12. If you, if you want to, you can flip forward with me 
to Acts 28, and you'll see how the book ends in a, in a similar way here. Acts 28 ends in verse 30. He lived there, speaking of Paul. Paul had appealed, been arrested for preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and had appealed all the way up to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he had that privilege. And he gets all the way to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he's, he's confined to a house. And he's on house imprisonment, if you will. And he's got soldiers there guarding him regularly. And it says he stayed there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So ultimately, you have this idea that the gospel, the word of God, will increase and multiply through boldness and without hindrance all the way through the book of Acts. And clearly, as we've gone through these 12 chapters now, we recognize that there has been hindrance after hindrance, right? There's been people that's tried to stop them. In fact, these statements that the word of God will increase and multiply are trying to teach us something because many people have tried to stop the word from increasing. That's the immediate context of the verse, by the way. Chapter 12, verse 24, but putting that, that, that contrasting uh, word there of what Herod was trying to do, but the word of God increased and multiplied. This goes all the way back to the beginning. In chapter 2, when Peter preached, the authorities came in, arrested Peter and John, put them in prison, threatened them not to speak again. You see zealots who, who are against the preaching of the word, who will murder Stephen and, and, and put him in martyrdom, the first martyr, murder him, and, and restless mobs in the street throughout the book of Acts pointing to, to rise up against the teaching and preaching of those who believe in Christ. But not only that, you also have them fighting over food distribution in chapter 6. You have discussions of proper diets and what they can eat and what they cannot eat in, in chapter Chapter 11, you have Bolivia, uh, you have one battling over strategy, where they should go, what they should do. You'll start seeing that happen. You have dis disagreements over decisions made. In just a few chapters, you have Barnabas wanting to take John Mark and Paul saying, I'm not taking him anywhere. And Barnabas and Paul will split. I mean, over and over again in the book of Acts, you have what are seeming hindrances to the gospel with potential to shut down all of this. In fact, how many times have we seen these type things happen? It's not just, it's not just the outward persecution of threats or even the murder of Stephen or James. It's not just those things that are coming against believers, but it's also the inward trouble within the churches, fighting over who gets the food, fighting over what they're supposed to eat, fighting over what strategy they would use to reach the nations, fighting over who they will take and what decisions that will be made. You see these things in the book of Acts. And I think there's a reason for that. Because God does not want us to be surprised when they come up for us, right? He does not want us to be surprised because as soon as we start talking about fighting or decisions being made within the church that people disagree with, what happens? All of us go, oh, I remember that when that happened at the church I was at, you know? I'm assuming all of you may be here by some measure because you may have been at another church that was fighting or disagreeing and you were just tired of it, you know? 
Or you live through what happened even here or there or anywhere. And, and so we see how quite often, quite often, these kind of things hinder or seemingly hinder the advance of the gospel. The advance of the gospel. And destroy the witness of the church even. But wouldn't it be interesting, or isn't it interesting, that the Lord doesn't hide those things from us in Acts? He says, there, they happen. They're there. Paul and Barnabas get mad and split. Paul and Peter get fussy over whether or not they can eat bacon. I mean, they've got all of these problems, and they're there, and they are not hidden. And in light of all of those issues, the Word of God increased and multiplied. The Word of God increased and multiplied. In spite of all of these seeming, and I'm putting those in air quotes, right? These seeming hindrances that come up, the truth remains. The word of God will go on increasing without hindrance until the Lord comes. And hear me when I say that. The word of God will go on increasing without hindrance until the Lord returns. We're not to dare think that our struggles or even our problems are going to stop the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, why? There's three reasons, I think, in Acts. Three reasons why the Word of God goes. Because the Word of God is not dependent on personalities. The Word of God is not dependent on personalities. Now, there's personalities all over the place in the book of Acts. I mean, Peter, that's a personality, right? I mean, that guy, that guy is, is proud. He goes from chopping off an ear to denying Jesus to weeping bitterly to waiting on him to return to eating fish by, with him by the sea. Y'all see, y'all remember, I mean, Peter's doing all of this. Peter goes from waiting and, and scared to boldly proclaiming and telling everybody, the one you killed, God raised from the dead. I mean, Peter is a personality. We see that with Stephen. Stephen's just a deacon. When I say just a deacon, we love our deacons. But Stephen is not one that seemingly is some great orator or put in front of these things. Stephen is just one who had been called out to help feed or give food distribution to the, the widows, right? And he was raised up for that. And yet when he's called up front, Stephen stands and from the beginning to the end tells them the story about how God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to save them and redeem them. And these, remember what Stephen called them? You stiff-necked people because you do not believe that this is the one. I don't know if that was the moment they decided to stone him. Whatever be the case, they didn't like it. But Stephen and his personality was bold to stand up for the truth. And you see it even come out as they are stoning him as he says, Father, forgive him. Forgive him. Of course, then you got Saul. I mean, there's a personality. Who, who just in chapter 13 will start calling him Paul. And, and Saul, Paul, will be one who was going to, to boldly proclaim. And he's going, and he was strong-minded. You know, when him and Barnabas disagree, we'll see that in a few months. When him and Barnabas disagree, Paul says, no, this is the way it's going to be. You can leave if you want to, but here's what we're going to do. I mean, he's a strong personality. Over and over again, you have these strong personalities in the text. And you may be caught up to thinking it took a Peter or it took a Paul or it took a Stephen to really get the gospel going. That's the opposite of what the book of Acts is saying. 
In fact, Luke, in just a few chapters, uh, I think it's about chapter 18, he goes from using the third person to the first person, right? So showing that he was actually with Paul in most of his journeys. He would say, we, and, and we went here, we did this. Luke was with Paul as Paul goes all the way to Rome. And, and in chapter 28, when he gets there, right? Seemingly, we would think that Luke was there, and Luke knew, by the time he's writing the book of Acts, Luke knew that Paul was killed in Rome for the gospel, beheaded there. But why did Luke not put this in the book? Because the book of Acts, as I've said before, is not a biography of any person. The book of Acts is a story of the advancement of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And whether Peter, I mean, Peter basically disappears from Acts. We'll see him up to 15, and then we don't hear from him anymore. Whether it's Peter or whether it's Paul or whoever it is, the advancement of the gospel is not dependent on any one person. We may know great preachers. We may know great leaders. We may have them in our time. But when great preachers die, the gospel keeps going. When great leaders pass on, the gospel keeps going. Or something even worse, when great leaders and preachers fail morally, it does not stop the gospel of Christ Jesus. Because the gospel is not dependent on personalities at all. God, in his wisdom, has chosen to use us for his glory to advance his gospel, but he is not dependent on us in any way. Y'all know what? If I'm not here Next week, somebody will be in this pulpit preaching the gospel because the gospel is not dependent on us or me or personalities. And the book of Acts is teaching us this. It goes forward. It goes forward in spite of us quite often. But second, the word of God is not hindered by prosperity or persecution. The word of God is not hindered by prosperity or persecution. We've seen both in the book of Acts. We've seen persecution all over the place. We've mentioned some of that. But we've also seen prosperity. If you remember there, there's about 10 years difference between, between um, Cornelius and Antioch, right? And so, so ultimately it tells us in that span that the apostles went about all Judea, house to house, proclaiming the good news of Christ. There's freedom there. So you have the persecutions that were, and then you have the ones that come with Herod when James is killed. In that time span, there's great freedom for the apostles to go throughout all Judea proclaiming the gospel. And they're doing this in a time, what I would call prosperity. But there's also great persecution. And the gospel's not hindered by either. In fact, what we find is the gospel goes forward when there's prosperity. When there's freedom, when there's no real fear of persecution, there's freedom to go and spread and tell the gospel and march from door to door and proclaim his good news from the pulpits and, and say it in the streets and, and tell each other uh, 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 witnessing on to one of friends or some others in the public square. There's freedom to do this in great in prosperity. But at the same time, persecution does not stop the gospel either. In fact, persecution propels the gospel in many places. Persecution propels the gospel. Stephen is martyred, and what happens? The gospel spreads out and goes. The gospel goes and from Stephen's martyrdom, takes the next step to Judea and Samaria. The gospel goes forward. The gospel is not hindered by prosperity, and it's not hindered by persecution. 
Now, quite often, we may be. Quite often, persecution may take us and it causes us to cower back, whatever that may look like. Quite often, prosperity causes us to take much for granted that we should. And, and in many ways, the danger in the American church is the prosperity that we face, that we become lackadaisical in our faith, that we step back, that we become less bold with the proclamation of the gospel because of prosperity. But understand, that has to do with us, and we'll get to that in a minute. The gospel goes forward. The gospel goes forward. I love I love, uh, and I often times do this, the Baptist Missionary Society, 1814. Baptist Missionary Society, 1814, sent out a man named Adoniram Judson. They came up with a symbol. Y'all know, they branded themselves in 1814. And that symbol is much different than, than what we would use today. It's a symbol. It's about this. I, if I was any way significant as a pastor, I'd have a picture of it up for you, but I don't have one. So just listen to me. It's a symbol with a, a bull in the middle. And behind the bull is an altar with smoke coming up. And in front of the bull, in front of the bull is a plow. And the picture represents the fact that as a missionary going forward, we're ready for either. Either we're sacrificed on the altar for the sake of the glory of God, or we serve the Lord by plowing up the ground to work in his midst. Whichever may come for us, we're ready for either, was the picture. And for the believer, that should be our mindset. Whatever may come to us, we're ready for either, only that we would serve God, that we would follow him. The word of God is not dependent Hindered by prosperity or persecution, the word of God is not dependent on a strategy. So many strategies. And strategies change, and strategies are a necessity. I mean, we can look around. A strategy is simply this. How are we going to get something done, right? How are we going to do this? We have what we're supposed to do. Now, how are we going to do it? Well, in the book of Acts, we see strategy after strategy. The Spirit comes. Paul, Peter had a strategy. He gets up and just tells everybody as loud as he can, right? I like that strategy sometimes. But then, but, then, but then we see strategies in other places. We see strategies like with Paul going to plant churches throughout Asia. Then he would decide that, that instead of planting those churches, he'll go back and strengthen those churches. We see strategies all throughout the book. Barnabas and Saul, house to house. Paul under house arrest is a strategy. Come to me, I'll preach, I'll teach. But what we find when we read this so often is how quickly the Lord changes the strategies of his people. In fact, we see them. They wanted to go here, but it says the Spirit told them, no, go there. They want to do this. They got a plan, but no. The Spirit says, no, this is what you are to do. We as believers must hold strategies. We must have those things, but we hold them loosely, and we give everything up to God. It is God who determines where we go and what we do. So we don't get dependent on some strategy. Oftentimes, churches do this. They develop their strategy for growth. or their strat And quite often what happens is the strategy becomes more important than the word itself. And you don't know whether growth is based upon the word or based upon some sort of business principles that are just simply designed to throw something out there, right? The book of Acts. The book of Acts teaches us that the gospel is not hindered by our strategies. 
The gospel is not hindered. The word of God is not dependent on our strategies, that it will go forth. Whatever we come up with on the whiteboard, again, strategies are important. We have to have those, but we hold them loosely dependent upon the word to follow him, to go after him. Now, why is this the case? The word of God is not dependent on personalities. The word of God is not hindered by prosperity or persecution. The word of God is not dependent upon strategies. Why? Because this is God's work. This is God's work. We don't have ownership over these things. This is God's church. This is God's place. And this is his work to advance his gospel. And his work is based upon his word. As Acts 24 tells us, the word of God increased. In Genesis, the word of God creates. In Exodus, the word of God delivers. In Isaiah, the word of God does not come back void for us. In the Gospels, the word of God is, is planted and grows and spreads. The word becomes this powerful force, if you will, through which God conquers and brings in his kingdom all in the text. And when we get to the book of Acts, the word is the father's agent using that language of new creation from Genesis, how he created there. Now he's doing something new through his word, using that language of Exodus and redemption, how he called his people out of bondage. Now he's doing something new with his word. This new Exodus, this new creation is taking place. And the plan is to establish and grow his community, his people, his church through his word, through his word. So when we hear it increases, and we hear that several times, chapter 6, it says the word increased and multiplied. Chapter 12, chapter 19, the word increased and multiplied. It becomes this, this marker throughout the text. When we hear that the word increases, it means that knowledge of it increases. It means that knowledge of it increases. It's not as if the word becomes more, if you will. It's, it's, it's as if the, the knowledge of the word by his people is growing. As Colossians 1, Paul prays for the Colossians. He says, I pray that you would be filled with knowledge so as to walk in the spirit. In other words, when it says the word increases, the knowledge of the truth is increasing. It's not just more people are hearing it. It's that the people who have heard it are growing deeper and deeper and deeper in it. And where knowledge of his word is, is found, faith grows. I truly believe there's a direct correlation to us studying the word and us becoming more faithful. Does anybody understand what I mean? Like, like those things work together. When, when we know the word, we become more faithful to the Lord. When we know the word, we become more bold in our witness. When we know the word, we become better believers here. And so what, what Luke is saying when he says the word of God increased, I think he's speaking here to the believers. He's speaking of the believers they knew more of God's word. They continually stayed in it. They learned it. They studied it. They believed it. They followed it. The more they knew, the more they believed. You see, church growth happens, not just numerically. In fact, I think numerical growth happens only after growth in the word happens. 
Healthy numerical growth only happens whenever growth in the word takes place. So when you read the word of God increase, it points to believers who never stop growing, who invest in the word, who read it daily, who who let it sink into their life, who seek to follow it with everything they have. They pray. We pray that more knowledge would come so that we can do the will of God. The word of God is increasing because they are knowing more and more of his truth as it's preached, as it's proclaimed, as it's given to them. They're knowing more and more of its truth. And the direct correlation to the word of God increasing in believers' hearts is that it multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. The more people believe, growth comes from knowing, believing the word, and more people knowing and believing multiplies the word. In other words, God builds his church through his word and believers knowing it and sharing it. It's a direct correlation. You know who God is. You know what he's done. You know the truth of the gospel. You share it. You witness to it. You let others know about it. The danger for us is whenever we think the increase of the word is dependent upon personalities. We need somebody to explain this to us, so we're following this or we're following that. The danger for us is whenever prosperity or persecution comes. And what do we do with the word then? The danger for us is whenever we think strategies are more important than the word, all of these become a danger for us. And in those dangers, oftentimes we see little fruit maybe, or we see no life or growth happening. We, we ease into a routine, especially in those times of prosperity. We ease into a routine. And what we learn in Acts, what we learn in Acts is that nothing can stop the word of God. It increases and it grows. Throw at it persecution, it grows. Throw at it prosperity, it increases. Throw at it difficulties and struggles and personalities, it grows, it increases. Throw at it whatever you want, it grows, it increases. And so then we have to ask the question of our own life, am I growing in the word? Am I multiplying the word? Am I doing what's happening here in Acts? I want to be one that can say the word of God has increased and multiplied in my life. And so if that's where it's at, if you want to see what happens in Acts happen in your own life, I really believe it's simple. Read the Word. Study the Word. Pray the Word. Memorize the Word. Look to God's Word. And as we have this word before us, we we implant it in our own hearts and our lives and we see it grow. Our knowledge of him grow. Our love for him grow. Our desire to follow him grows. When that happens, you will see, you will see the word increase and multiply in your life. Increase and multiply in your life. And for us, there's never a day like today for that to happen. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe, maybe you kind of have grown into a routine. And hopefully you're not satisfied there. 
You're not satisfied by not growing and not learning and not following. And and maybe now as we kind of end this section in Acts, looking to come back to it later, maybe now you can say, you know, this summer, this may be something I want to do. I want to commit myself to read the word more, study the word, pray the word, memorize the word. I want to know the word in my life so it can grow and multiply from me. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be a part of what God is doing, not a hindrance. Not an hindrance in my own life to it. I want to be a part of that. My favorite, one of my favorite lines, and I think it's important here, is uh, from a Christian song in the early 2000s. This world, it says, is making me drunk on the spirit of fear. So when you say who will go, I'm nowhere near. I believe that's the case for many of us. As we look to the world, we're scared. We're scared of making a stand on something to be called a bigot. We're scared of standing up for truth and when, when lies are going every which direction. And it looks like if we just simply look at what's going on in our world today, it looks like the truth is losing, right? It looks like it's losing ground. And so we step back in fear. Fear to step out and say something. Fear to stand on something to be cast out or ostracized or canceled or whatever it is. Fear to stand on God's word. And so what happens when we let fear take over our life in light of all that's out there in the world, when we let fear take over our life, we miss the very commands of God to go and share and tell and be witnesses. And there is no reason, believer, listen to me, there is no reason for us to live in the fear that this world is offering us. Because we have a God who cannot be stopped and a truth that cannot be shaken and a word that cannot be destroyed. In fact, the word of God is what the only thing that can make right what is wrong out there even now. And what he needs is for his people to be bold with the proclamation of the gospel. Acts ends, chapter 28. The word went forth with all boldness and without hindrance. We must be faithful. We must be true to God's word. We must seek after holiness in our life. We must be clear witnesses. But I believe just like the early church here in chapter four and, and Paul a little bit later, I believe the thing we need today more than ever before was the same thing needed in Acts. We need more boldness. For boldness is that flame which, which lights up faithfulness, right? Boldness is that thing that, that sets courage on fire of faithfulness before God. And, and boldness is the one who, who makes the witness step up, even in the face of whatever may come, persecution, struggle. Boldness is the one that says, even if the world rejects me and rejects the truth of God's word, I will still proclaim it. And so God make us more bold with his truth. And really, I don't think we're asking for much. 
Because we have a command to be witnesses from a resurrected king. So tell me what they can do to us when we have a king who stands in our behalf, who has conquered death and conquered sin. May we be more bold. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good to us. We thank you, Father, for the truth of the fact that the word goes forward, boldness and without hindrance. So God, help us to recognize that it's not personality. It's not personality-driven. It's not, it's not context-driven, whether it's persecution or prosperity. Help us to realize, Father, that the advancement of the gospel is not dependent upon our genius strategies in any way, that the advancement of your word comes because you are true and right and nothing can stop your word. And so, God, may we be faithful. May we come to you today as a people who seek greater knowledge of your word, who dive into your word. And God, may we have more boldness. And as we know you through your word, we begin to spread and witness to your, of your word. So others would believe, God. May today be a day that we, we cry out for more boldness. And we look to your word, Father, to grow in strength and wisdom so that we can proclaim it. May today be that day for us in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today, we have Pastor Steve and Pastor Jeremy in the back. If you need to just ask them for prayer, I know Pastor Stephen and Pastor Jeremy would love more than anything just simply to pray for you for more boldness. Pray for you for a desire to know the word more. If you have any of that, they would love to speak to you. Join our church. Be a part of what we're doing here. They would love to speak to you. Let's stand together and sing.